Well, good morning, church. So good to see you here this morning. Thank you for the, those who are worshiping online. A special welcome to you. My name is Tim Park. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just really good to, to worship together. And uh, this is our seventh week inside our worship center, and it's been a wonderful season. You know, each week we're seeing new faces and also some faces that we haven't seen in the last 15 months. So every week since May 2nd, we're seeing uh, faces, familiar faces that we haven't seen in a while or brand new faces. And this is an exciting time for our church during this season. And for those who are worshiping with us online, uh, when the time is right for you to join us on campus, we can't wait to see you. And when that time is right, and just to let you know, our leaders are doing uh, their best, and they are working so diligently to keep our campus uh, up to date and safe, and they're just working so diligently. And so for those who are at home, we should be online. When the time is right, we look forward to being back here together. And this whole season has been a time of connecting and reconnecting. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've been so enjoying about being back on campus and worshiping indoors is having those spontaneous conversations on the patio, just kind of catching up or meeting somebody new. So it's been a, a really special season of connecting and then also reconnecting. And since May 2nd, which again was our first worship service back inside our recently remodeled worship center. I mean, doesn't it look great, right? For those who are here, yes, you can say that. You can clap. Since we've been back indoors, uh, our desire has been to, to stay in touch as much as possible. And you heard Evelyn share earlier that during the season, some of you, you might receive a phone call, an email, a text, uh, from someone at church who just wants to say hi and connect with you. And I'd also encourage you, as part of our church family, to reach out and connect with others. You don't have to wait for someone to reach out to you. And Evelyn also mentioned that we have something exciting coming up on July 11th. And if you walked in a little bit late and you missed the announcements, mark your calendars. July 11th is our Baptisms and Summer Barbecue. Okay? And this year, okay, leave all your grilling utensils at home because okay? we don't want you to have to work on July 11th. We've invited the In-N-Out truck to come here, all right? So In-N-Out will do all the cooking for us on July 11th. They'll bring their big truck. They'll park it right there in our parking lot. So it's going to be wonderful. But not only that, you just can't have hamburgers, right? You have to have some nachos, right? So we'll have some nachos. Okay, and you need to wash it down with something, so we're going to have boba for you. Yes, some bubble tea. And so, In-N-Out burgers and nachos and boba on July 11th. But wait, there's more. Kids and big kids, pack your bathing suit because we're going to have a giant water slide on our campus on July 11th. This is following this service, the 1045 service on July 11th. It's going to be a great time, again, to connect 
and reconnect as we see more and more of our church family and those in our community come onto our campus. And if it's been a while since you uh, updated your information, please take a moment today, fill out a connection card. You can find those connection cards on the tables on the back and then drop them in the offering box or you can uh, update your information online at efreedb.org slash connect. And then also, as Evelyn shared, um, you know, I can't wait to see those of you who are newer to our church immediately following this service across the way in the landing for our newcomers gathering. Just come spend a few moments with us and learn more about our church. One more exciting thing that I want to share. Starting tomorrow, our front of the church on just the opposite side of that small wall, we are breaking ground on a brand new landscape. Yes. So we are updating our landscape in the front starting tomorrow. And so you'll see the progress for the next number of weeks. And then also, in the not-too-distant future, you'll hear more about some exciting plans for the building back there called the Education Building. We have some incredibly exciting news to share with you about when that's going to start, uh, that project will start. So stay tuned for more information about that. Well, this morning, the title of my message is in the form of a question. And the question is this. What kind of faith saves? That's the title of my message. What kind of faith saves? And that's what God's Word will answer for us today. We are in week five of our series through the book of James. And the title of the series is Faith Alive. And today we come to chapter two. We'll be in verses 14 to 26. And in today's passage, James will speak about the relationship between faith and works. Now, this is a subject that has kept many a Bible student busy over the centuries. And there have been many debates and differing opinions about the subject of faith and works. It's even led some to pit the Apostle Paul against James. Because on the surface, it seems like they were on opposite sides of this issue. But I'm confident that by the time we're done here today, that we'll see that Paul and James were not only on the same side, not only were they teammates on the same side of this issue, we'll see that they would have given each other high fives for what the other wrote in his letter. And so we're going to begin in chapter 2, verse 14. Here's what James says in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? There's a lot going on in this just first verse of this passage. In this opening verse, James asks the rhetorical question. In fact, he asks two questions. And he already knows the answers to these questions. Now, I have a question for James. And my question for James is, what led you to ask these questions in the first place? Right, there must have been a reason. He couldn't have just asked these simply out of the blue, just for argument's sake. 
Now, you might recall that James was writing his letter to a group of Christians who were primarily from a Jewish background. When they came to faith, these young Christians, they discovered the glory of salvation by grace through faith. They were experiencing this sense of freedom like never before. They were freed from this system of works righteousness. But along the way, here's what happened. As they experienced this newfound freedom, some of them went to the opposite extreme and they stopped thinking about the connection between faith and works. And they were straying away from God's will for their lives. And what we can conclude from this opening verse alone, verse 14, is that there is a faith that does not save a person. There is a faith that does not save. It's a faith without works. Now, keep your place here in James 2 and go over to Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. Some of you, your, your, your wheels are spinning now. You're, you're really starting to think, wow, where is this going? Okay, there is a faith that does not save. And it's a faith without works. Now in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, here's what the Apostle Paul, James's teammate, okay, here's what he says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. All right. We know this much so far. James and Paul were not contradicting each other. You know why? God doesn't contradict himself. And the Holy Spirit inspired both of these men to pen exactly the words that they wrote in their respective letters. And so, keep in mind, Ephesians 2 does not cancel out James 2. We know that we are saved by grace through faith. And the question for us this morning is what kind of faith saves? Here's the answer. The answer is a living faith. That's the only kind of faith that saves. A living faith. And what's the opposite of a living faith? A dead faith. Look at verses 15 to 17. In James 2, he continues on in verses 15 to 17. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to, him, to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James was not condemning salvation by grace through faith. By no means is he condemning salvation by grace through faith. What he's doing is this. He's warning against the false hope of salvation through a dead faith. 
He's warning against a false sense, a false hope of salvation through a dead faith. And he gives the example of someone in need of clothing, of food. He's being very practical here. James was a very practical man. You might recall in chapter 1, he talked much about helping those in need. And he gave us the examples of orphans and widows. You see, in James's day, there were so many orphans abandoned, just left out on the street. There were many widows who had no family members to take care of them. James was calling the church then, and God is calling the church now to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. In other words, he is calling us to act, not simply to feel. You see, it's one thing to feel bad about someone in need, and we do that often. We feel bad about someone in need. True religion does something about it. Practical Christian living helps those in need. One pastor said this, if we fail in the most simple good works of meeting the needs of someone, we don't have a living faith. Only faith in Christ, a living faith, can save. An intellectual knowledge cannot save in and of itself. Even an emotional response at a rally or at a crusade in and of itself does not save. If we know someone is in need, we might genuinely feel bad about that person's need. But if we know their need and we do nothing to meet that need, except maybe just throw them a few religious words. According to James, not only is that not enough, he says it's simply dead. It's useless. So, church, did you know that not all faith is the same faith? Now, I think you'll all agree with me when I say this. Prayer is a good thing, right? You would agree. Prayer is good. Studying the Bible is a good thing. Hanging out with Christian friends, it's a good thing. But what if those things, those good things, become the substitute for action? What if we are simply content with spending time in prayer with God, spending time in Bible study, spending time with our Christian friends, and yet we do not act upon those things? If we spend all our time doing those things, and yet we don't take the time to meet the practical needs, we fall short of God's will for us. Prayer is good as long as it is not a substitute for action. Studying the Bible is good as long as it is not a substitute for action. Hanging out with friends is great. But those things, in and of themselves, prayer, Bible study, church attendance, hanging out with friends, did you know that those things are never the end goal of the Christian? Those serve to 
get us to the goal. And that's to become and behave more like Jesus. To become like him and to behave like him. James continues on and he says in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Did you know that the reality of this? You and I, we can't see each other's faith. Okay? Faith is not a tangible, physical object that you see. One pastor says this, there's no faith-o-meter on our forehead that turns green whenever we exercise faith. Now, that would be helpful. Oh, that person has a lot of faith because it's green. That'd be really helpful. But we don't have a faith-o-meter right here. We don't see faith, but we see the effects of faith, just like we see the effects of wind. We don't see wind, but we know when it's windy. For several months, we worshiped outdoors in our parking lot. We experienced a few windy days along the way. One particular day was really windy, and we had these four plants. Yeah, some of you were there, or some of you watched online. It was like a uh, comedy show, okay? So our stage outside, you know, it was narrow. And so we put these plants much closer together. And a gust of wind picked up. That plant fell over, hit this plant, which fell over, and hit this plant, which fell over, and hit that plant. It was like dominoes. We don't see wind. We see the effects of wind. We don't see faith but we certainly know when it's unmistakable by its effects. In verse 19, James gives an example of someone who may believe or who thinks he or she believes, but does not have works. Verse 19, he says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Keep in mind, James was writing to a church that knew their Old Testament. And he highlights the difference between a mental agreement with a saving faith. There were those in the church who thought that because they worshipped the God of Moses and because they could quote from Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, that they were right before God. They thought just because we worship the God of Moses, because we can quote from the Old Testament, we must be right with God. But James completely shatters that false hope. He says, even the demons believe, and they shudder. One commentator had this to say. He said this, and this stuck with me all week long. Satan's minions 
are more aware of God's reality than most people are. Yet they are not right with God. Did you know that the demons know their theology? In fact, they know their theology more than many people know their theology. They know more than we do about the power of God. You don't often hear that in a church, do you? But think about that question. The demons know more about the power of God than most of us might do. Think about it. The demons, they watched when Jesus came to earth. You and I, we weren't there. The demons, they saw Jesus on the cross. We weren't at the foot of the cross. The demons watched Jesus walk out of the tomb. They knew these things were true. They witnessed these things. We might go as far as to say that they had faith that those things were true. But that faith did not save them because it was a dead faith. You see, not all faith is the same. And to drive his point home even further, James turns again to the Old Testament. Look at verses 20 to 24. He says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Wow, that, wow. Okay, James said that. I didn't say that. James said that. You see, well before Abraham offered Isaac on the altar, he was justified by faith. That's why James makes it a point to refer back to that. You can find that in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Well before he offered Isaac up on the altar, Abraham was justified by faith. But Abraham's obedience in offering his son demonstrated the very fact that he trusted in God. Here's a question for you. Just think about this in your head. Do you know why Abraham was so willing to offer his son on the altar? Just think about that. What parent in his or her right mind would offer your child up on the altar? Why was Abraham so willing to do that? It was not because he had a blind faith. The reason why Abraham offered his son on the altar was because he knew that God had the power 
to raise his son from the dead. That's the reason why he offered his son. Because he knew that he, if he offered his son, God would bring him back. You can read about that in Hebrews 11. You see, because Abraham, the right, because Abraham had the right kind of faith, he was willing to do the work. The right kind of faith leads to a willingness to do the work. If Abraham didn't have the right kind of faith, he would never have done that. But his faith was a living faith. You see, works is a natural accompaniment to a genuine faith because a genuine faith is always connected with regeneration. Regeneration is just a fancy word for born again. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. You know, these days, these days, so many of us are doing most of our purchases online. I know that I am. It's just so convenient now, right? And oftentimes, that product, it comes in a day or two. And so it's so convenient. You know, once upon a time, most of us would never have thought about ordering something like shoes online. Once upon a time. Right? Because with shoes, you got to go into the store and try them on. It's too risky to buy shoes online. What if they don't fit? What if they're uncomfortable? What if they make my feet hurt? What if I'm stuck with them? Not so anymore, right? Now it's like add to cart, proceed to checkout, and wait for that box to arrive. No, no risk involved. Because free returns, free shipping. You try them on, in your home, walk back and forth in front of your mirror. You know when you open up a new box of shoes, the excitement goes something like this. You open up that box, you peel back the tissue paper, and you see your brand new spotless shoes without any scuffs or blemishes, and you don't see the, the dirty sole right, that you see in store from people trying them on, on dirty department store carpet, you don't want that. When you open up a brand new box of shoes in your home, it is spotless. When you open up a new box of shoes, you don't expect old smelly sneakers. When our lives were given over to Jesus, our old smelly selves became a thing of the past. We were made new. We were given a living faith. And a living faith demonstrates itself in a changed life. Now, you and I know that by position, we were changed instantly. But that change doesn't always show itself instantly. It takes time for us to kind of grow into our new selves. As we mature, we become more and more like Christ, but it takes time. It's a process. It's a journey. If we compared life to a road, then it would have many potholes and detours and traffic jams. 
setbacks and irritations and have some flat tires and then long, monotonous stretches. But eventually we see the victorious mountaintops. This past Friday, we moved Amanda out of her dorm up in San Luis Obispo. It's hard to believe that she's already done with her freshman year of college. And so we packed our SUV full of stuff. And I mean packed it. It's amazing how much you accumulate in one year of college. We had our cargo box up on top. It was packed, our entire SUV. We couldn't utilize the uh, rearview mirror because we couldn't see anything out of the bag. It was packed. So we got everything packed, and we set out for the road. On a normal day, from our home to San Luis Obispo, or from San Luis Obispo to our home, on a normal day, it might take less than four hours, right? Three and a half. Some of you, you can make it in two and a half, I think, maybe. (laughs) But it's definitely less than four hours on a normal day, three and a half hours or so. On Friday, yes, Friday, It took us six and a half hours to get home from San Luis Obispo because of all the traffic, the road work, the accidents. You know, on Google Maps, I like to pay attention to the ETA. Okay? And the best feeling is when I'm driving and the traffic is light, and I can beat the ETA, right? Isn't that a great feeling? When you beat the ETA. Yes. On Friday, we set out in the afternoon, and there was a certain ETA, and it was already going to be long. But the most demoralizing feeling is the closer we got to home, every mile we got closer, the ETA would get later and later. We could see the minutes climb by the seconds. But we finally made it home. One author says this. He says this about the Christian life. The life of the godly is not a straight line to glory, but they do get there. We will get there. We will grow into our changed lives. Now, just in case James's critics weren't convinced enough that a true living faith is evidenced by works, he goes back one more time to the Old Testament. Look at verses 25 and 26. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Rahab was a Gentile. That was shocking enough in and of itself. But she wasn't even a picture-perfect, morally upright Gentile. And yet, and yet she demonstrated her faith in the God of Israel when she hid the spies, when she covered for them, even if it cost her something. The reason why James uses these two examples, Abraham and Rahab, is because, again, there were many in the church who understood 
the Old Testament. And there are many who had the background from a Jewish perspective. But at the same time, there were some in the Gentile community that were coming into the church. So James uses Abraham and Rahab to give the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians a pattern for faith. The lesson from Abraham is that if we trust that God wants what is best for us, we will do it. We will follow him. The pattern from Rahab is if we believe in God, we will help his people. Even if it costs us something. The lesson from both of them is that a living faith produces action. Otherwise, it's a dead faith. Do you know that it's possible to have a body without a spirit? It's called a corpse. It's possible to have a faith that is not alive. It's a dead faith. So do you see why not all faiths are the same? That's why Paul and James, they don't contradict each other at all. They would declare that dead faith cannot save and that a saving faith is demonstrated by action. Earlier we read from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. There's another important verse attached to that passage. It's verse 10. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 10. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our trip home from San Luis Obispo was a very long one. But I didn't tell you about the best part of that trip. The best part of that trip actually came about as a result of a not-so-great start. It took a while for us to load our vehicle with all the stuff. It took a long time. And plus, I like to kind of think things out, right? Because when you have all kinds of like objects like lamps and mirrors and hampers and suitcases and large garbage bags full of blankets and whatnot, you start thinking Tetris. You start thinking, how will it all fit? Right? And I'm like, just give me a few minutes. I've got to kind of plan this out. And all the while, the doors of our SUV, they're open for several minutes. That means the lights inside are, op- are on. And we were there for a long time, and finally after we got everything packed in, closed the doors, pushed the ignition, and silence. Dead silence. I'm like, great. It's already going to take, like, at that time, I thought, five hours. And so eventually I got on the phone with our insurance company roadside assistance. 
But you know how that can go, right? That might take a while. So I'm on the phone trying to find the right number, trying to find the right person. And so in the meantime, Joanne started roaming the parking lot asking people if they had jumper cables. And they were all kind, but, you know, they all said, sorry, sorry, we don't have any cables. And here I am on the phone with dispatch. And then at one point, uh, Joanne sees a, uh, a Jeep Wrangler drive up, right? And she's thinking, oh, hey, Jeep Wrangler, that's a sport utility truck. That's, you know, a rugged truck. That person might have cables. And so a young man walked out of this Jeep Wrangler. And so Joanne approached him and said, oh, do you have jumper cables? He said, sorry, I don't. And he looked like he was on his way somewhere. Okay. And so he, he went on his way. But you know, later on, Joanne would tell me that as she approached this young man, she noticed that he was carrying what looked to be a devotional book. And so here I am on the phone with dispatch, trying to explain to them where we were, because when you're on a college campus, there are a lot of buildings and parking lots. They're like, where are you? Where are you? We needed to send our guy out there. And so we're talking back and forth. And so, uh, again, Joanna would tell me later on that she knows what looked to be like a devotional book maybe like a study curriculum or whatnot. And so, but this young man disappeared. But then a few minutes later, oh, in fact, Joanne would also tell me that when she saw him with that book and when he left, she started praying that God would somehow use him for his glory. Maybe he was headed to a Bible study, a small group. So Joanne just started praying. A few minutes later, I'm still on the phone with dispatch. The young man walks back to us and says, while I was walking away, I called my friend. He lives about five minutes away, and he has jumper cables. So he got back into his Jeep Wrangler and drove off. I'm still on dispatch, if I'm phone with dispatch. We're waiting And then eventually he comes back into the parking lot. He exits his car with jumper cables. He hooks up the cables to our car. And I decide, you know what, just to make sure, Mr. Dispatcher, can I just keep you on the phone just in case? And he's very kind. So we hooked up the cables, waited a few minutes, pushed ignition, and still nothing. But we waited a little bit longer, and push ignition, and this time we heard a little noise. Push it again, we heard some more noises. You know, kind of like, you know, I think I can, I think I can, right? That type of noise, I think I can, I think I can. And then finally, after a few more minutes, we hear the glorious sound of the engine turn on. I said, Mr. Dispatcher, don't send your guy, we're good. I hung up, And by that time, we had already introduced ourselves to him. He introduced himself to us, a young man by the name of Michael. In fact, he was graduating from college. So this was the day before his graduation. He graduated yesterday. He took the time to meet our need. And so when we unhooked the cables, 
we thanked him. I said, Michael, you know when my wife approached you, she noticed what, she saw what looked to be like a Bible or devotional or something. I said, God bless you. And in return, he said, God bless you. When Joanne first asked Michael if he had jumper cables, he said, sorry, I don't. He could have just left it at that, right? And we would have thought nothing of it. He could have just left it at that. He was not obligated to go out of his way to call a friend, to then drive to his friends, to pick up the cables, to drive back, to then help perfect strangers. He was not obligated to do such a thing, but he did. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? This week, I imagine most of us, if not every single one of us, will have an opportunity or two to live out our faith in a tangible way. It might mean going out of our way. It might mean getting out of our comfort zone. It might cost us our precious time, our precious resources. When that opportunity comes this week, and I know it's going to come to every single one of us, my prayer is that we would live out the kind of faith that saves. Would you bow with me? Maybe there are some here today Maybe there are some who are worshiping online. And maybe you've been convicted by God's word to live out your faith in a way that maybe you've never done before. Yes, you might be a child of God today, but maybe it's possible that you've been holding on too tightly to God's blessings for yourself and keeping them only to yourself. Would you ask God to give you the determination to live the kind of life that he desires for you? Ask him to give you the desire to live with open hands. Maybe there's some here today or worshiping online. You've been convicted by God's word to begin a new life in Christ today. Today you can receive salvation and you can begin a new life in Christ. You can have the kind of faith that we see in Abraham and Rahab and a young man by the name of Michael. If so, I invite you to say this prayer along with me. God, I want to experience a living faith. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross to pay the price for my sins so that I could be made new. Today, I give my life to Jesus. Thank you for saving me. I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.